Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying, All nations will be blessed. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law, are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will be by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, The person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung up on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for reading, and I'll just ask us to bow our heads as we pray. Lord, now let the words of my mouth be the of all our hearts. Amen. Okay, good morning, once again. Now, again, in a new series, this is the second message in that series. And it's really because every ever so often, whether as an individual or an organization, if you're leading an organization, it's very important for you to ask, who am I? Where am I going? Why do I do what I do? You ask yourself the question of your identity. You should ask yourself the question of your mission. You should ask yourself the question of your vision. So as a church, we're doing exactly that. Um, we want to always refresh ourselves about who we are. And so that's why we title this series exactly what our identity is. Our identity is that it's gospel-centered urban church. And we're going to be doing looking at this from September to November. So this month, gospel is gospel-centered urban church. This month is gospel. Next month, because it's urban, it's mission. And then the month of November, because it's a church, is community. So Please stay with us, and we'd love to carry along. So it's a gospel-centered urban church. And by and let me just be clear. When I mean the gospel, because we say this all the time, I will get maybe a little bit into it. But when I, I refer to the gospel, I say we're a gospel-centered church, I basically mean the good news that the incarnate, crucified, and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, is now Lord and intended judge of the world. 
good news that the incarnate, crucified, and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, is now Lord and defending judge of the world. All right, so that's um, a bit of background for the whole series, but let's go into today's message. Let me start by saying this. Um, when I was living in the UK for some time, uh, you know, when you were in Nigeria, uh, at least growing up, um, you had your, when they give you your food, they'll give you rice and maybe, most times they always had meat, right? But the meat was always one small thing, somewhere in the middle of the rice. It was very small. And occasionally you could have good meat. But chicken, you didn't just get chicken anyhow. Chicken was uh, Christmas, chicken was Easter. You know, birthdays, you know, all of those things. And it was a bad birthday, you get the chicken legs. We're not talking about that. But <coughs> when I went to the UK, I got sick of chicken. I got absolutely sick of chicken. Because it was so much cheaper. They were using it genetically modified uh, So chicken was always very massive. It wasn't really, really nice, to be honest. The, the bone, there was no bone marrow. It tasted like something, and I don't know. But I, I missed meat. I have to tell you the truth. I missed meat. Meat was a lot more expensive. And I didn't have a lot of money. So I missed meat. But not only did I miss meat, I missed bones. You know, there's something, I don't know if you go to any restaurant, you ask for fish, and then they give you this, they give you fish, it doesn't have any bone. You can't, you know, you can't use your hand, you can't talk. No, no, I love bone whether it's in fish, whether it's in chicken, or whether it's in meat, right? So I miss bones. And not just, you know the thing about bone is, you know, there's cow leg bone, there's a fish bone, but there's this other bone that we all like. The bone that when you are eating, if you are cracking it, it starts to crack. That thing we call biscuit bone, isn't it? Wonderful. I never had any of that. Almost eight years in the UK, no biscuit bone. Now recently, myself, Francis, and Tosin were at a conference, and it was dinner time. We we're a bit, we we're a bit hungry, and you know, we were looking for where to have good dinner. And so we got to this particular restaurant. It was a kind of resort, so they had different restaurants. So we got to this particular restaurant, and like you know, they would have the the meal outside on a you know, on the display thing. And so we looked at it and we're like, oh my God, you know, this is, <laughs> the, the price was way off our league. It was very expensive. But Francis then noticed in one of the meals, you know, they put the name there. Most of us don't know what it means. They just put some Italian name or something. We don't know what it means. So they always have to put a description on there. So under there, they now put the thing and they now said, oh, it's also got brisket bones. And so Francis now said, ah, you know, the funny thing eh, about this brisket bone that it was only a, a few years ago We'll share the embarrassing story. Like, it was only a few years ago that I knew that brisket bone was actually what we used to call biscuit bone. Yeah. And he was sharing it embarrassed because he felt, you know, we shouldn't have, and I was looking sheepish at him. <laughs> because I only just knew that that was what was And I know there are some of you that didn't know that. They are all just laughing, but some of you always thought it was biscuit bone. It's brisket bone. Now the point of that is that sometimes we are around something we are so familiar with something that we think we know exactly what it is. And actually, we don't. Let me give you, let me say, for instance, take this question. Who is a Christian? Well, if you want to answer that question, it depends on what part of the world you're in. Some people in the UK mean that they think that being a Christian is basically synonymous with being British. Because once you are born, you are born, you are taken to the Church of England, you know, you are baptized, they give you a Christian name, what we call English name. So it's being British, they say they are Christian. Now if you're in the US, some people will say that it is people that vote Republican. Some of us who are skeptical, maybe non-Christians here, would say that it is 
up smoking, people that don't smoke, people that don't drink, people that don't womanize, and people that hate gay people. Now, these are all wrong. Let me throw another question that we are probably very familiar with and we think we know. How does one become a Christian? I would say being baptized as a baby, some would say by going to church. I recently, um, there was someone that was counseling and um, we got into a couple of things. This person had been in church for a while, but the way things were going, I thought I should ask. I asked, them, I asked her, I said, how does someone become a Christian? She said, well, well there are many ways, but there are many ways of that form. All right, but that, that usually what has to happen is we need to hit a crisis in your life. And when you hit that crisis, man cannot help you solve it. You find that man can't help you solve it. And only God can help you solve it. And so at that point, you call upon God to help you solve it. And then God enters into your life. And that way you become a Christian. This person spent at least 10 years in Christ. So there are many views. I don't know what your view are. Your view is about how you become a Christian. The more initiated of us will be saying something like, you have to give your life to Jesus, or ask Jesus into your heart. Or it's synonymous with being at a very huge conference, you walk down the aisle, and you, you said a prayer. Now all of these things have some, they have some ring of truth to them. But really, what do we even mean by them? Do we all believe the same thing about it? And does the Bible actually agree with us? Quite often what happens with why we are so familiar with a particular word is that we are using the same vocabulary, but we are using different dictionaries. Use the same word, but we mean different things by that. So our sermon today, gospel status, with three headings and three parts I'm going to uh, tell us now, hopefully we want to bring some clarity to this question, how does one become a Christian? And so uh, it's gospel status and there are three headings. The th first heading is curse of the old status. The second is blessing of the new status. And the third is the price of the new status. So the curse of the old status, blessing of the new status, and the price of the new status. So let's go into the first one. Now you know this city of Lagos that we're in, you have no shortage of things or people to provoke you. Just go out, spend five minutes on the street. There will be someone there to provoke you. But let's say you get into a particular party, uh, you know, an OAMB party, and then foolishly, you, you know, maybe you were a bit early, and then you decided to get into the front, and you now sat down in a particular chair. And then they come and say, oh, um, sorry, that, that chair is not for you. This table is not for you. Can you go back and sit at the back? And then you get on like, how can you talk to me like that? Sorry, sir, we are going to have to tell you the truth. And the next thing is that famous Lagos retort. What's that? How many jobs have you Do you know who I am? That question, what is behind that question? That question, what behind the question is an assumption that you have an underlying superior status. There's an assumption. Who I am, I have achieved a certain level, a certain um, status, which accords or should accord me a certain kind of reaction, a positive reaction. You don't treat me that way. Is it by status? When I say status, I mean a place of social position or standing. A place of social position or standing. So if you possess this particular elite status, we expect people to treat you like who you are. 
When we speak of righteousness, as we see in verse 6, righteousness, simply put, is a desired status which leads to specific blessing. A desired status that leads to specific blessings. Now, in that regard, we all want a desired status. I don't know anybody here that wants to be treated with disrespect, do you? There is a certain kind of status we would all desire. And obviously to get the blessing that comes with that status. In other words, we are all, in one way or the other, pursuing righteousness. And then the question becomes, how then do I become righteous? Now, if righteousness is the status, the way you are made righteous is called justification. Or I can, justification is basically making righteous. Righteousness is a desired status that opens up or leads us to certain specific blessings. But the way you are made righteous is by justification. So, how can I be justified? How can I be made righteous since this is something we're pursuing? We want the blessing that comes with it. Well, let me give you one way of doing things. And it's actually the dominant way that everyone in the world pursues righteousness. It's the same way that some of these people were trying to pursue it. Verse 12. Or, let's say, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law. Or in verse 12, notice what he says. The person who does these things. The person who does these things. What things? The works of the law that we see in verse 10. A bit of history here. If you, take, if you go to the beginning of the Bible, the people who are called Israel, God's own people, they're delivered from slavery. But after they're delivered from slavery, God needs to give these people, because he needs to constitute a society, he needs to give them a way to live that will make them distinct, distinct as God's own people. So he says all these things to them, but he also gives them those things that he says, he puts it in a book, a constitution of life. That was called the book of the law that you see at the end of verse 10. It was, or you can call it the Torah. This was a Jewish identity marker. It was something that distinguished this particular way of living based on the law will distinguish Israel from all other nations. And notice, they were redeemed first and then God gave them the law. But after a while, after 1,000 plus years, I don't know 1,000 plus years, even during all that period, some people believed that they could take that law that God had given them, and by obeying the things that are in the law, they could obtain righteousness. By doing these things, you could then get that particular status. The variety principle there is that when you commit and you do things according to a particular standard, then you can obtain that desired status that leads you to blessing. Remember, if righteousness is the status, justification is, and let me put it another way, is the performance record that obtains that status. That standard that you want to live by, that performance record, if you meet up with it, that's justification. If you meet up with it, then you are justified, you are righteous. But if you do not meet up with it, then, according to verse 10, you will be under a curse. You will be condemned. If you meet up with it, you, be, you become a somebody. 
And those who believe that they do meet up. I don't know, some of us here, maybe you have been fleeing from Christianity. Why? Because you have believed that to become a Christian, you have to have a performance record of a squeaky clean moral life. Say, look at those Christians. I can't be like them. Look at, do you know what I have done? I am sexually active multiple times outside of marriage. Christians don't do that. I view porn regularly. I have committed an abortion or two. Look at the way I dress, skimpily. My cleavage is always showing. My, shirt is, uh, my skirt is always well above my knees. I can't be a Christian. You know what's going to happen? Once I sort these things out, once I meet it up, then I know I'm ready to become a Christian. But for now, the weight of all those things that you do, even you yourself, you feel condemned by them. So when somebody then brings the Christian standard before you, you feel even doubly condemned and cursed. And this is why for you, I can't do it. You're running away from Christianity. Because you feel unrighteous before the Christian God. But some of us would think, that actually I have met up with God's performance record. Because when you were growing up, you were a memory verse champ, you know, draw your sword. How many of us did draw your sword, draw your sword? The people that are not raising up their hands are the people that were losing doing draw your sword. I know. <laughs> huh? You never ever got it. When they said open Psalm 200, you, you start opening your Bible. Psalm 200. You were a memory verse champ. Or maybe you think, you know how they say it, you know, yeah, I did this bad thing, but I am not a bad person. I'm actually a good person. Why? Because normally I'm mild-mannered. I don't curse. I don't swear. I give to people on the road. Or maybe you are an activist for the poor. In fact, you're an activist for the poor. When all the churches were only collecting money, you were outside there. The churches were silent. You never smoked. Or maybe you are still a virgin. 
So in this regard, you feel like, I have met up. And yet, even though you've met up, you still feel like it's not enough. You still feel some sense of curse. What do I mean? Why? Because though you feel like a somebody, you only feel like a somebody on your best days. It's the days that you give that you now feel like you're a someone, somebody. The problem is that even though you do all of these things, there are days that you don't do them, and then you don't feel like a somebody. Even though you are pursuing and you think you've obtained righteousness, your righteousness is not stable. It rises and it falls. Because by the law, it says in verse, um, in, in verse, um, verse 10 again, cursed is everyone who does not continue, continue to do everything written in the book. The problem you have is that you are unable to continue to regularly keep up with the standards, the Christian standards. And so you too also feel unrighteous. Because trying to keep these standards over and over again is exasperating. And that feels like a curse. You are haunted by the failure to be consistent. And you know what? You should be. Both, in both categories, that you are unable to do God's law and the one that you are, you are able to do it, but you can't do it consistently, we should feel condemned. That's exactly what the text is saying, and that's exactly what you feel. Because it's not enough to do 89% or 95% of the law. If you read the book of James, it says that if you break one of the law, you have broken what? All. You can't say, but I kept 19 out of 20. It's like the man who says, darling, look, I have been faithful with, with you for all these 18 years. I have never slept with a woman in 18 years, another woman except you 18 years, only yesterday. I'm not a bad person. What's wrong with you? 18 years of faithfulness? If you break one, you have broken all. And so we feel that sense of condemnation. Our righteousness is unstable, or it is very, very clearly our breaking of the law shows us who we are. So that takes us to the second point, the blessing of a new status. You see, if I cannot be justified or made righteous by my doing, is it ever possible for me to obtain Object, um, any kind of objective righteousness before God, because I just can't see how it's going to happen. Even Nancy Mandela must have committed sin. Who then can be made righteous before God? Now, let me first start by saying this. The problem is not with the law. The problem is not with having standards. You see, the law was given by who to Israel? Who gave it to them? So inherently, the law cannot be a problem. Paul says that in Romans 7, verse 12. The law is holy. The law is spiritual. So it, the problem is not the law. And yet here, this law seems to be seen in a negative light. What's the problem? Well, the problem is the misuse of the law. I'll say that again. The problem is not the law. The problem is the misuse of the law. The law was never given to make an unrighteous person righteous. You see, all the evil that you are doing is evil. It's evil. And God isn't happy with it. However, if you think that by then doing good to pay for all the evil, you eventually become righteous with God. You know, maybe you pay money to a church. 
or you have the pastor simply pray over you. If you think by doing that, that is going to cancel or maybe set you up in a new future. The problem is, what about the past? You're not going to outbalance it, over, overbalance it. The positives outweigh the negatives. You see, you would only ever feel condemned and continuously condemned unless you change the system. The system of works of the law will never, ever make you a Christian. But if you then say, therefore, who can be? Well, let's change the system. Let me bring in this person, Abraham, as we see in verses 6 to 8, uh, to 9. Now, Abraham, for Jews, was a pretty big deal. And if you don't know it, it's a pretty big deal for Jews, Christians, and Muslims, right? Abraham is a pretty big deal. Now, God, if you read the book of Genesis, chapter 10, in chapter 10, you have this list of nations of people. God had wiped people out with the flood, but he kept a guy called Noah with his three sons and the wives and his wife. So those eight people started to multiply the earth again. Now, it lists the table of nations after that. But in chapter 11, we, are almost, we see how these people divided. They came together, one voice, one language, and they wanted to build a system, a religious system that was anti-God at Babel. And so God judged them. How did he do that? By confusing them, by giving them different languages. So these different nations now are in rebellion against God. And that is how Genesis chapter 11 ends. So in Genesis chapter 12, if the nations are all dispersed around the earth, but they are in rebellion against God, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham. So the, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord has said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples, all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. This is what Paul quotes here in Galatians 3, verse 8. So God was now going to use this Abraham to sort out the mess, the sinful mess that was going around in all the nations. He was going to bless Abraham in order to allow the blessing that comes from Abraham to go through the nations. In other words, God was going to undo the sin that was in the nations through calling Abraham. Do we understand that? Now, when God then called Abraham, as I've just read in verses 1 to 3, notice that God told Abraham that, Abraham, now for me to bless you, this is what you need to do. You need to sacrifice this. You need to give up this. You need to obey these 28 commandments and do it consistently, and then I will bless you. Isn't that what he says? Isn't that what he says? And then Abraham kept to all of those things, and because he kept all of those things, he became righteous, and then God blessed him. Isn't that what he says? Look at your Bible. Oh, let me look at mine. Of course he didn't say that. He gave it to him by what? A promise. And in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is wondering how these things is going to happen. You've said I'm going to be a, a great nation. Look at me. I am this old and I do not have a child. I only have one servant. His name is Elisa. Uh, um, or Damascus, what's his name? Elisa of Damascus. And God said, no, I will give it to you. Your wife, Sarah, is going to bear a child. And she's very old. Abraham's wife is very old, just as old as he is. She was past the time of how a, a woman um, of getting pregnant. And God gave Abraham this word. 
And in verse 6, this is what happened, which is quoted in, verse, in, 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 in this scripture that we read. Abraham believed the Lord and it credited and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham what? Believed the Lord and he credited it to him as that which you want to obtain by doing, God said Abraham believed and he got righteousness. There is the system of trying to do works by the law, but there's also the system of faith. How can we obtain this righteousness? Well, it doesn't matter how much effort you keep putting and how genuine you are in a wrong system. As long as you're in a wrong system, you can be champion of the wrong system. You're just champion in the wrong. And this is so important because Paul doesn't want us to miss it. He not only quotes the law here in verse 8. In verse 11, he quotes Habakkuk, the prophets. Habakkuk 2, uh, 2 verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. This has been the witness of all the scriptures. You see, there are two different things when you take the works and, 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 um, and the faith. You see, both of them require you to rely. Notice verse 9, it says, those who rely on faith. But verse 10 says, those who rely on the works of the law. So we're either relying on one of them. But the difference is that Faith, uh, works of the law, is self-reliant. It relies on yourself, whereas faith is relying on something else. What do I mean by that? If you, as long as you rely on the works to obtain your desired status, the spotlight of God's moral perfection will shine on you. It's going to be you. If you require the works, works, there's a standard there, but you are the one that has to keep the standard. So when you present that before God, the spotlight comes on you. This is why a lot of us run away from certain exams we think will fail, isn't it? Or certain job interviews. Because if they say, ah, why don't you come and apply for this interview? You start shaking. Why? Because when they are interviewing, they are not interviewing five of you at the same time. They are going to interview you eventually. And you would have to be able to say, well, I achieved this or I achieved that or I... You know, they give you a certain sum to do. They are looking at you. If it is on the works of the Lord, the spotlight comes on you. And if the spotlight of God's moral perfections falls on you, there is nowhere to hide. You would always feel condemned. But in the way of faith, God brings you and tests you by the standard, but he doesn't put the, the spotlight on you. Now, I need to let, let's, let's, let's expand that further. Let's go to the third point. Let's go to the third point. The third point, price of the new status, so that I can explain. I think we said the, the, way, the, the system of faith, isn't it? The system of faith. It begs this question, and this is a very, very important question. Again, back to our same vocabularies and different dictionaries. What is faith? What is faith? Because... We're in Lagos. Whether Christians or Muslims, all of us have what? Faith. The moment I meet a, a Latin, they say, ah, I don't think, for me, I, it's a tough year. I just don't think, with, with all that we have not done in the market, I don't think Arsenal is going to win the league. <laughs> and then I say, Latunde, just believe. Have faith. 
It's absolute nonsense, isn't it? For us to know what faith is, let me, let me, let me, well, we, you never know. Miracles happen. Leicester won the league. Leicester won the league. 3-0 yesterday, we, you know, if it be our year. Anyway, to understand what faith is, let us avoid three prevalent distortions. There are three distortions that I think always happen in our city about what faith is. And we Christians are chief among them. So there are three distortions. One is faith as effort. The second is faith as fantasy. And the third is faith as knowledge. Faith as effort, faith as fantasy, and faith as knowledge. Faith as effort. Basically, it is that faith is not in an intensive creative belief. That is, believe, believe that en enough belief that enables the impossible. What's impossible? Nothing is impossible for you. Just what? Just believe it. Now, if you focus and believe, believe hard enough, eventually it will be created. It wasn't, it didn't exist, but if you believe hard enough, eventually it will be created. That isn't faith. Why? Because look at verse 6. Abraham what? Believed God. Abraham believed God. The problem with faith as effort is that the faith has no object. The only object of faith in faith as effort is faith. Just believe and believe and believe on belief so that then something would happen. But Abraham, he didn't say, and Abraham believed. Abraham put his belief on someone. Abraham what? Believed God. Believing as effort is like trying to eat, but you, are, you, have, you don't put any food in your mouth. You just put your teeth. Your teeth go up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. When our teeth go up, we put food in our mouth so that our teeth can what? Slam on something. Faith as fantasy is believing anything you want to believe. In other words, truth without evidence. So we establish a certain way we believe this thing is true, and then we believe it. Something, we say this is true, and then we believe it. In other words, it is, I want to ask a question, have you understood the truth of what God has promised or said? Many people believe that MMM was the thing that was going to change their lives. They believed, isn't it? And they put their trust in it, they put their money in it, and so many people were disappointed. If it is wrong, your belief will still be, will still crumble. Well, it changed some people's lives, yes, terribly. It just didn't change it the way they thought. Well, it changed some people's lives, but they were the bait for it to change you. I'm not even getting into that. All right. And then the third one is faith as knowledge. In other words, here, you think that faith is all about understanding. The more I know, the more I believe. That's not true. You may understand it. You may understand the truth about it, but that doesn't mean that you believe. Sound knowledge does not necessarily equate to belief. Faith requires, if you notice, it says you have to rely. Those who rely on faith. Now, I'm going to give an example I always give, but I'm not going to demonstrate too much. I always bring Sheikh Mohammed out and I ask, and I bring a chair. But let me illustrate this with a chair, with the three things. Faith as, faith as effort. Intense belief does, if you came into this place and there were no chairs, Olumide, huh? you came into this world, there were no chairs, and your back was spinning, you went to sit down. And then I said, Olumide, what? Believe. Intense belief is not going to create a chair. That's the first one. Second one is, this is faith as a fantasy. If you came in and you saw benches, 
Benches, so there were chairs now, but there were benches. You know what benches? Some of you are too tush, you don't know what benches. Bench, no resting, whatever. Paco, just put it there. Believe, faith is not going to turn the chair into a couch. So don't rest your back. It will hurt your back. Right? Don't jump on it with your, with your bum. It will hurt you because there's no form there. You see, faith as fantasy looks at the bench but doesn't actually call it a bench. It calls it a couch. And then finally, you see couches all around. No, no, look, they don't go there, but yes. You see couches all around. And you wax eloquent about the couch. About this, how this is a lazy boy. And that, you know, about the leather that is there, brown, Italian leather. It will last you for 20 years. You become like a salesman. You pull up the thing so that the lazy boy will come up. You touch, you press, you look, this is so nice. And the question is, is that, do you want to sit down? You can know all about it. If you don't sit down, you don't have faith. So it's neither just effort, neither is it fantasy, and neither is it what? Just knowledge. You require an object, you require understanding, and you require trust. An object, understanding, trust. The object or the data, the understanding which is the truth, and then trust which is reliance. So now let's take this back. It says that we should have faith in Christ. Remember, by the works of the law, you will not be able to become righteous. Let's apply it to faith. And then it says here in verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Notice, it is now not Abraham believed God, but it's now saying Christ. In our nation, in our city, everybody believes God. Allah, Mashi. Hmm? Um, what's that other, what's that nice, nice song? Terrible, nice and terrible song. Uh, Baba Godo, I want a dangote. But notice, who is, he, who is he talking to? He's talking to Baba God. The guy that prays on Friday talks to Baba God. The guy that prays on Sunday talks to what? Baba God. The guy that goes with Ifa, Baba God. Olodumare. Everybody is God. But now it says that the place of faith, the object matters. It is not just God. It is who? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. If you are here and you need to put your faith in someone, an object, can I suggest to you the person of Jesus Christ? It is he that redeems you from the curse of not being able to make your own standard. It's Jesus Christ. Is it saying that Jesus Christ is, oh, now it has no longer, it has moved from Believing God and now believing to Jesus Christ, although they are not the same person, actually, no. Because Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God. So that's the object. But what about the truth, the knowledge? It is Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. It's not just Jesus has to enter into my heart. It's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's another thing to believe the work of Jesus. It's not just that Jesus is a prophet. Neither is it that Jesus is a miracle worker because it's very possible for me to tell you now how Jesus transformed my life. I used to be a hawker, but now I'm a preacher. 
If he did it for me, he can do it for. Look at me, sparkling. Look at fine boy, fresh. If you saw me in my, in my youth days, but Jesus has made me what? New. How? Jesus has made me what? New. How? Ask him to come into your life. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the Lord by what? Becoming a curse for us. Is the right belief about Jesus Christ. By becoming a curse for us, what is happening? God is taking your performance record and the consequences of your performance record for trying to be righteous and is exchanging it with Christ's own performance record that can make you righteous. So when it then says relying on Christ, the question is this, do you believe it? Do you accept that you have a bad performance record? And then do you accept that Christ has a blemishless performance record? Because part of the biggest problem for us is accepting that our performance record is bad. That the curse is justified. But you see, God out of love says, no, this one with a perfect record, I am going to exchange. The blessing of his perfect record, I now am going to exchange with your curse. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, God made him who had no sin, his performance record, to be a sin offering for us so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. God offers you free righteousness. Not one where you have to work for. This is what it is to become a Christian. It is to say nothing in my hand I bring but simply to your cross I cling. I say, but Femi, can you prove it? Because if you are not a Christian here, you'll be running away. I want you to run, but not run in that direction. Run to him. So you know, Femi, I, I understand this. In fact, in my life, people have rejected me, but there was this family because my parents died early and um, I had not lived a very good life. There was this family that accepted me. They accepted me. But whenever it was time to serve food, they always gave me food that was inferior to their own children. Whenever it was time to introduce the people in the house, they always told me to go back inside. They accepted me, but they didn't accept me enough. I was part, but I was never really fully part. For many years, I lived as a Christian just like that. I had done untold evils in my university days, untold evils. And though I was a Christian, I was ministering. A friend of mine sat me down one day. I told her, look, even though God loves me, I know he doesn't love me like everybody else. I said, because there's a particular sin I have committed, and not, not just did I commit it once, after two years I committed it again. There is no way. He can. He does love me, but he doesn't love me like all these other people. And maybe you are like that. Well, the answer there is that don't think that way. Because God not only sent Christ to die for you, God put his mark on you in a way that he puts his mark on all of his children. Verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive what? The promise of the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? Well, in one sense, the Spirit is God's seal upon you. It's God saying, I don't care whether you are in rags. I don't care whether you are covered in mud. I don't care whether you are covered in a, a king's robe. I am going to embrace you. 
You know, sometimes we don't always embrace some people. Maybe you don't want to embrace that. You embrace the people that wore perfume, but the guy that didn't use deodorant, you kind of, hey, hi, shake. God says that all our breath stink. All our body is filled with odor, the odor of sin. And yet when we believe that Christ was put on a pole because of us, he pours out his spirit upon us. He treats us all the same. Verse 26 says that in, by faith we are all sons of God in Christ. And in chapter 4 it then says, because you are his son, he has sent for the spirit of his son into you. And so I say this, if you are not really a Christian, if you think you've always understood it, but now you're understanding it, don't run away. To run away means that you are still dependent on your works. Run to him. But what about some of us here who would say that we are Christians? And yet we still pursue the world's standards to make ourselves somebody. Until I get a job, I can't be someone. Until I'm promoted to this, I can't be someone. Until I get a child, I'm not someone. Until I get married, I'm not someone. Everything we use, though we have been justified by faith, you know what? We are trying to live by works. And that's why it didn't just say those who are made righteous by faith. It says those who continue to live by faith. The righteous live by faith. Two ways of living. And don't forget it. One of it, you get justified by faith, but you want to sustain your righteousness by works. In the other one, you get justified by faith and now you express your righteousness by, by, by works. So what are we saying? Go for that job interview. Pursue that contract. Keep being disciplined. Write that exam. Because guess what? No matter what, their performance record and the standard, whether you pass or you fail, it has no bearing on who you are as a somebody eternally. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. This is the marvelous grace that we receive, O oh Lord, that we do not have to work. Because works aren't important, but we know that we cannot use works, Lord to be made righteous before you. But we thank you that in Christ Jesus, all who have faith in him are made righteous and are sustained by that same faith. And so, Lord, I ask that by the power of your spirit, if there is anyone under the sound of my voice who has been running away but now wants to run to you, will you not accept them through Christ? For he said, I will not cast out anyone that comes to me. Father, accept them on the basis of their true faith. Accept them, O oh God, on the basis that they look not to themselves, but they look to Christ. And for all of us, O oh God, who are already looking to Christ, but are so, we look so many other places to obtain that righteousness again. Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit that you renew us. Renew us, O oh God, by the gospel. Help us that not only have we been saved by the gospel, but help us to grow in the gospel, to live by the gospel, to live by faith. For the righteous live by faith. Help us, Lord God Almighty, for we are people that look to flourish in you through Christ. I pray that you do this for us, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.